You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to be together. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be concluding our series. We've been going through, over the past few weeks, a book in the Bible called James, which was originally a letter written by James, who was uh, one of Jesus' brothers. And uh, James was one of the leaders in the early church in Jerusalem, which is where kind of Christianity started. And um, he's writing to a church that he's been uh, serving, and we've been going through this kind of le- this letter over the last few weeks, just unpacking what it is that he's saying to them. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, um, well, we really believe that Jesus has uh, changed our lives. That's kind of why we're praising him like we've just done. It might be a bit weird for you if you're new to this, and you might think, why are these people so uh, intense? Why are they so excited about something? Well, we have had our lives changed by Jesus, and so we're passionate about him, and we love to sing his praises. He's forgiven us. He's turned our lives around. Uh, Many, many of us here will be able to testify that Jesus has changed our lives, and so that's why we worship him. That's why we come here together uh, to make make much of him. And James Jesus' brother was actually once a doubter. He once did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He thought he was kind of crazy. And uh, eventually, as we see in the Bible, he came to believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. We see at the beginning of Acts where uh, it describes basically what happened in the early church. Uh, We see that James was then counted as one of the believers. Where he once doubted, he now believes. He's had his life changed by Jesus. We're in chapter 5 of... um, the book of James. Before we get there, um, let me just explain something about uh, this church that he's writing to. So the church in Jerusalem was really a successful church. It started with about 120 very frightened believers in 30 AD. And within just a few weeks of it starting, it was many thousands uh, strong. Many, many thousands of people were part of that church. And it says in um, Acts chapter 2 that God was adding to that church daily those that were becoming Christians. So every single day, someone was becoming a Christian. Every single day, this church was being added to. It was a successful church. It was a church that was uh, helping the poor and needy. It was a church that was uh, reaching and impacting the high and mighty. And even when this church was persecuted and they had to scatter for various reasons, they ended up planting churches wherever they went. So even when hard times hit, they scattered and they planted more churches. This was truly a remarkable church. It was a successful church. And I want this for Hope Church. Do you? Do you want to be a successful church? I do. I want Hope Church to be a successful church. Sometimes we're a bit... um, Uh, cautious about the word successful. Well, I want to have that kind of church where we are seeing people come to know Jesus every single day, where we come to see uh, people giving their lives to him every single day, where we are reaching people in all areas of society. I want that for our church. Now, how were they successful? They were a praying church. They were a church that prayed often. Peter was one of the other leaders with James. He ends up getting thrown in prison because he's been talking about Jesus. And he miraculously gets freed. And the first thing, he knows exactly where to find the church. He knows exactly where to find them. They're in a prayer meeting. He knows where to look. This was a prayerful church. They devoted themselves to prayer. And as a church, 
here in Ipswich, we want to give ourselves more and more to prayer. We want to be a church that is going after God for big things for our church and for this town and for the nations of the world. And on the 5th of April, I want to encourage each one of you to come to our prayer and vision night, which will be here. Uh, Doors open at 7.30. We start worshipping and praying at 7.45. I know it's the Easter holidays on that, uh, that week, but for those of you who are in town, please make it here. There won't be any small groups meeting that week. Come and pray with us, because as we pray, I'm convinced that God is going to do incredible things. He's going to do things that we couldn't even begin to imagine right now, that he is going to do incredible things amongst us. Right, that's enough of that. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let's just pause there before we continue. We see just in these verses alone that this was a church that took prayer very seriously. They prayed for one another. They were in each other's lives. This was not a church consisting of private individuals. Okay, and this is the pattern that we want to follow. We want to be a church like the first century church. They weren't perfect, but they were committed to community. They were in each other's lives. They weren't private individuals who simply turned up for an hour and a half on a Sunday and then saw nothing of each other for the rest of the week. They were committed and in community. And we see here, there was a a praying community. They would pray for people if they were sick. They would rejoice with those who were celebrating. They would grieve with those who were grieving. And friends, I want to encourage each one of us, if we are currently considering ourselves a member of this church but are not involved in any way uh, beyond this Sunday morning gathering, I want to encourage you to get stuck in. I want to urge you to get stuck in because God has great things for us in the context of church community. And so if you're currently coming along and scamping off straight after the worship is finished, let me urge you to stick around, get to know people, get in a small group, get to know people so that you can do the kind of things that James is saying here, that you can pray with those who are sick, that you can rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and that we can be a church that really is an alternative community in this region that where community is so destroyed in this country, where people are living lonely lives, where people are isolated, that we would be something that really looks very different. Amen? Do you want to, are you up for that? Yeah, I know this is intense, but we, this is what we wanted to build here. This is what we want. We see here as well as elders in this church. There was a plurality of leadership. We here at Hope Church, we have a, a team of elders. They're coming up on the screen now. There's five of us at the moment. We will, I'm sure in the years to come as we grow as a church, grow this team. Our elders, are often called pastors. I prefer the word pastor because I don't think I can grow a big enough beard to be called an elder. But uh, this is who we are, and I have the privilege of leading the team. We're not a one-man show here. In fact, many people don't even know that I lead the team, and I'm really cool with that because it's not about one person. It's about a team. And in fact, right throughout the church, in every area of church life, we want to have teams that are leading things, not one man, not one woman. And so these are, are, are your elders here at Hope Church, the men who are being asked to oversee the church. And it says here uh, that uh, sometimes there'll be some people who are particularly sick who would need to call the elders to come and pray for, pray for them. Um, and if you want that, we can do that. You probably won't get all five of us. You probably wouldn't want all five of us, but one or two of us will come and pray with you if you're particularly sick. However, we see here, it's not just about elders praying. There's people right throughout the church who would be expected to pray and uh, asked to pray for people. So 
That's a bit of an aside, really, but I just want to paint a picture here of a radical community where people were involved in each other's lives, where they were committed to prayer, they were committed to one another, they were committed to Jesus. And let's read on, and we're going to focus on uh, Elijah that we're going to read about now. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We're going to be looking at Elijah this morning. Now, for James's uh, listeners or readers, they would have been very familiar with this guy, Elijah. He was an Old Testament prophet. And these believers that James was writing to would, were from a Jewish background. So they would have known Elijah very, very well. He was a hero for them. And he was a man who saw many miracles in his life, about 16 miracles we see recorded in the Bible. And he was a man who was sent by God as a prophet to call the nation back to God. There'd been spiritual double-mindedness in the nation of Israel. People would maybe pay God their dues on their holy day, but the rest of the time they weren't really living for God. And uh, Elijah was sent to go and call them back. And really, in a very strange way, the rain deal was a way of calling the nation back. It was a way of really announcing that they were in trouble and they needed to call upon God. It was a way of announcing that if they didn't turn back to God, there was going to be a a bigger and worse judgment uh, for them later down the line. So Elijah prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. He prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed a little while later and it rained. This was a way of God trying to wake the people of Israel up from their double-mindedness. And we read all about Elijah in uh, 1 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there. But if you're interested, you want to read about his story, uh, verses 17 and 18 cover this particular miracle. And James is saying here, well, Elijah saw amazing things happen. He saw uh, clouds opening up. He saw clouds uh, shutting up. There was all kinds of amazing miracles. He helped raise a kid back to life. Uh, All kinds of miracles. And the people that James was writing to probably thought that Elijah was some kind of big deal, some kind of special case. Uh, But James is very, very keen to point out that Elijah was a man just like them. Just like them. Just like you and I. And in fact, James would have been uh, very familiar with this concept because he and others who were his friends were just normal guys and they were seeing miracles happening quite often. And he's saying, these are people who are just like you. He's saying that they get easily distracted, they get uh, grumpy, they get tired, they get hungry, they're unimpressive, they get things wrong. He's saying, Elijah is just like you, just like me. And yet God was able to use him in mighty ways. We need to grasp this this morning, that through our prayers, through ordinary people like you and I, because I think you're looking pretty ordinary this morning, you, you and I, we're ordinary people, and God can use us as we pray, as we call upon his name. He can use us, and he can do amazing things as a result of our prayers. Just about a week ago, many of us gathered here for uh, a prayer meeting which we're calling Enough, where we gather together with uh, churches from our local area and then right across hubs across different nations, we're praying for the same things at the same time. And we prayed for it to rain in Kenya. And we've got friends, Edward and Frida Buria over there. Edward oversees hundreds of churches in Kenya and he was preaching here last year. And they've had a severe drought in Kenya for some time now. Many people have died and we prayed at that prayer meeting for it to rain. And a couple of days later, I saw on Twitter, uh, Edward writing to Mike Betts, who oversees our, uh, our movement of churches, saying, Mike, you told me to expect rain after your prayers. It started raining. 
Isn't that amazing? You know, this is our God. He responds when we call out to him, we call upon his name. So Elijah was a man just like us. And we need to get that this morning, that ordinary people like you and I, as we pray, that we can see incredible things happening. So we're told here in James 5 that Elijah prayed fervently. And this morning we're just going to look at five ingredients of fervent prayer, five things that make up fervent prayer. The first is this, Elijah withdrew to pray. He withdrew to pray. We see in chapter 18 of 1 Kings that Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He would withdraw to lonely places to pray, to go and be with God on his own to pray. He would shut out all of the distraction and go and be with God. And Jesus did exactly the same thing. In Luke chapter 5, Luke records that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. That was, his, that was the pattern of his life. Jesus had far more demands on our time, on his time, than you and I do. Okay, we're celebrating mothers today. Mothers, I mean, I don't know how you do it. The demands that you have on your time, on your energy, is incredible. Jesus had more demands than that. Can you, can you believe that? You probably can't, but he did. You know, people wanted his time, they wanted his wisdom, they wanted his healing power. And Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places to pray. He made the time to go and be with his father. Often early in the morning, he'd rise and go and be with his father in prayer. This was the pattern that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Because he said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Go into your room and shut the door. And when he, when he commands his disciples to pray like that, he's saying, shut out all distractions. Shut out all of the other um, demands on your time and attention. Shut out Facebook. Shut out texting, shut out your to-do list, shut out the cares of the world and come before your father in heaven. Come before him in a secret place. This is the pattern that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And for me, this is something that I make a priority in my life, to go and be with God, to go and get time. And you might think to yourself, Tom, you work for the church and therefore it's part of your job description to go and do that. Yes, it is. Hallelujah. However, before I was working here at Hope Church, I was a social worker and uh, very demanding team, uh, a very demanding team. uh, job it was, and uh, I would every day make sure I took my lunch break. And there's a culture in many workplaces of this kind of badge of honor of not taking a lunch break. I made sure I took a lunch break. I went and walked on the beach to go and be with God, to pray, to cast my cares upon Him. And I want to urge each one of us, whether it be in our lunch break or whether it might be whatever we time we have, to put time aside and say, God, I'm going to go and be with you. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to get away from uh, the world and its distractions, and I'm going to go and be with you. Can I urge you to do that? Can I urge you to think, where is my secret place? Where is my my place where I can go and be with God? Where I can turn off everything else and just be before my Heavenly Father? This is what Elijah did. This is how he would pray fervently. He would go where no one else was and would go and be before God. Secondly, Elijah had confidence before God. He called upon the name of the Lord, we read. He called upon God's name. And the name that he would have known God by was Yahweh, which was how God had revealed himself to, the, to Israel in the Old Testament, which means I am who I am. I am the I am. It basically means nothing else or no one else can define me. I am from the beginning until the end. Uh, no one comes close. To, to You can't describe me by comparing me to someone else. This is how God had revealed himself. Mighty, really mighty. And this is how Elijah would call upon him. He would call upon his name. And in America, people will often use the word handle instead of nickname. They'd say, what's your handle? 
On Twitter, you get a Twitter handle. This is your username, as it were. How people can get hold of you. And God has given us a handle. And it's Father. He's given us a, a far greater handle than he'd given to the people of Israel when he said, call me Yahweh. He's given us an even greater handle. He said, you can get hold of me by calling me Father. This is really good news this morning. This is really good news. You can call me Father. We can come before him as his sons and daughters. If we know him, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, if we've said, God, come and rescue me, then we can call him Father. And we can come before him with confidence. We can walk right up to him and ask him for things because he's our Father. And friends, there's amazing verses. Ephesians 3 verse 12 is an amazing verse. It just paints this picture. It says this, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness, access, confidence through faith in Jesus. This is what it is for a Christian to know God. We can have boldness, we can have access, we can have confidence. Is this this hammering home this morning? This is really good news. We can have confidence before God. We don't have to kind of just you know, shuffle our way into his presence and say, God, I know you don't want to hear from me, but I'm here. No, we have confidence. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We can come with confidence because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Is this good news this morning? We can come before God with confidence. We can know him as our father. We can access because of the blood of Jesus. This, we, need to get, we need to get this in our hearts, guys. We need to get this in our hearts. We have confidence. We are his children. We can make a claim of him because we're his children. In Romans chapter 8, we see God had gloriously given the very best gift that he's could possibly give. Paul writes this in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The point is this. If God has not spared his very best from us, why should we doubt that he would do so when we pray to him for anything else? He has given us his very best. He's given us his son, Jesus, who took our sin and shame on the cross. And therefore, we can come before God with confidence and ask him for things, knowing that he won't withhold any good things from us because he's given us his son. He's given us his son. You don't look very excited about this, but he's given us his son. So we come before God with confidence. Thirdly, we pray back God's promises. In verse 1 of chapter 18, 1 Kings, God promises rain. He tells Elijah rain's going to come. And yet Elijah has to pray, otherwise the rain's not going to come. That's a mystery, isn't it? God's promised it. He doesn't lie. And yet Elijah has to pray in order for the rain to come. He had to go after God. God has made promises in his word. There's about 3,000 promises in this, in this book. If you were to, I haven't counted them myself, but someone has told me that. And there's about 3,000 promises in this book. And we can take hold of the promises of God and go to God with his promises and say, God, you said. You said. In Genesis 32, Jacob is in trouble. His brother's coming after him. And he says, God, he's calling out to God to save him. And he said, he's rescue me, God. And he says, you said my descendants would be more numerous than the, uh, the sand on the shore. You said it, God. You promised this. So he's able to get hold of God, say, you've said this, God. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. Do you understand that? It's getting hold of the promises of God and saying, you said. God actually really likes that kind of prayer. 
It sounds kind of irreverent, doesn't it? It sounds like, you know, maybe we're being a bit cocky. No, but God actually likes it because we have taken hold of his promises. We're taking them seriously. And we're saying, you've said it, God. And you, you always come through on your promises. So I'm asking you to come through on this. So we can do this, friends, in our own situations. Jesus has made promises to us, hasn't he? We see in his word that God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory, Philippians 4, 19. So when we have a need, we can say, God, you are rich in glory and you have said that you will supply my needs. So I'm coming to you and I'm asking you for the things that I need. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, right? There's thousands of people in this town Tens of thousands of people in this county, millions of people in this country. There's many, many people who need to come to know Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. So we can say, God, you have said that we need to come to you and ask for more laborers for the harvest. So therefore, we're coming to you. It says in the beginning of James chapter 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Just ask. Ask God and it will be given to you. So we can say, God, I'm lacking wisdom in this situation. I don't know where to turn in this situation. I have no idea where to go. And so I'm asking you because your word has said, you said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. That's the kind of confidence before God that he he wants us to have. That's the kind of confidence in prayer that he wants us to have. That even though he's promised some things, we still need to pray them in. We still need to call those promises home. My children will remind me when I've promised them a lolly. They will remind me. I'll say, they'll ask me for a lolly. I'll say, you can have one later after your tea. They will not forget that. They will not forget that promise. That when tea's finished, they will remind me, Dad, you said we could have a lolly. So I kind of have to go through on my word, don't I? I have to, otherwise I'm not a good dad at all. I've promised it. So Elijah had to take hold of the promises of God and pray them in. Andrew Murray, uh, who lived a long time ago, wrote a great book called With Christ in the School of Prayer. He writes this, Let each disciple of Jesus seek to avail himself of the rights of his royal priesthood. And use the power placed at his disposal for his circle and his work. Let Christians awake and hear the message. Wake up, Christians. Your prayer can obtain what otherwise will be withheld. It can accomplish what otherwise remains undone. Oh, awake and use the name of Jesus to open the treasures of heaven for this perishing world. Learn as the servants of the king to use his name. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. We need to wake up, we need to awake and hear this message. Your prayer can obtain what otherwise will be withheld. Your prayer can accomplish what otherwise remains undone. Awake to this, wake up to this. Your prayers change things. Take hold of God, take hold of his promises and pray. Fourth ingredient of fervent prayer, pray specifically. There's a guy in in Matthew chapter 10 called Bartimaeus. He, he's often known as Blind Bartimaeus, which he's probably not too chuffed about. That kind of he's become known in history as Blind Bartimaeus. So Matthew chapter 10, he goes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's quite obvious, surely. This guy's blind. This guy's blind. He's called Blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He actually wants us to be specific in our prayer. Now, Elijah could have prayed a, a very general prayer, He could have prayed, God, would you somehow turn this nation back to you? God, would you somehow, uh, you know, turn their hearts around? Would you somehow show them you're real? Show them that they're walking away from you and walking walking in the wrong direction? No, he prayed specifically for it not to rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed for it to rain, and it rained. He prayed specifically. 
you have not because you ask not, James says in the previous chapter of this, in verse 2. He says, you have not because you ask not. So ask. Ask specifically. We're going to watch a very quick video now, which will hopefully uh, paint this picture if if we're good to roll it now. WestJet is known for its customer service. A smile with every ticket is the least you can expect. But for 250 holiday travelers, the smile was just the beginning. Visions of traveling danced in their heads. Two weeks ago, under the cover of darkness, WestJet employees set up blue boxes in the boarding lounge of the Toronto and Hamilton airports. And then they simply waited for guests to arrive. Hello there! Inset was a TV monitor. So you could stand on a mat and you could talk to Santa. What would mommy and daddy like for for Christmas? Big TV. Yeah, big TV. Passengers like Paul Larcher thought it was just a cute holiday gimmick, nothing more. But there was much more. Unbeknownst to the guests, we were relaying their Christmas wishes instantaneously in real time back to a digital control center in Calgary where we then dispatched WestJetters to go out and purchase those gifts. But was everything ready? We all had to wait. When passengers from those two special flights landed in Calgary, they were greeted not with their bags, but their Christmas wishes instead. People were stunned. Like, it was quiet, actually, at first. Like, it took people a few minutes to kind of comprehend what was going on. Larcher got a tablet, and the family that asked for the big screen TV, well, they got that too. Okay, imagine for a moment you're about to board your flight and someone asked you, what would you like for Christmas? Imagine if you were the guy here who said, I'd like a pair of socks, please. How foolish would you feel if all you'd asked for was a pair of socks when people are walking away with widescreen TVs and tablet computers? This is the point that I want to make this morning, that we have not because we ask not. We, don't, we think sometimes that God would not possibly answer that prayer, so we don't ask it. We need to come to God with specific things. We need to lay things at his feet specifically and ask him. So we need to be specific. Fifthly, we need to be persistent because the stakes are high. The stakes were really high for Elijah because the whole nation had turned away from God and the whole nation needed to come back to God. Otherwise, they were going to face a much greater judgment than a few years of drought. They were going to face an awful judgment. The stakes were really high for him. And so he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. He prayed seven times for it to rain. And he kept sending his mate to go and see if it had rained yet. Seven times, persistently going after God for the same thing. The stakes are high for us. When we're praying for God to come and move in this town and in this nation and in the nations of the world, when we're praying when we, when, we, when we see that people are lost without him, we, can, we really see the stakes are very high. Stakes are so high. We need to go after God and keep asking him and keep asking him for specific things. We cannot afford not to pray. We need to ask God to turn our nation around. And, you know, Elijah, a man just like us, he turned a nation around with his prayers. A man just like you and I. If you think you're unimpressive, you're You're right. You're right, you are unimpressive. But Elijah was also unimpressive. And through his prayers, the whole nation was turned around. We need to be asking God for things that only he can do. We need to ask God for God-sized things. Ask him for thousands in this town. Ask him for thousands of people to come to know Jesus, because only he can do that. We can't make that happen. Only he can do that. 
We're going to ask him for millions of pounds that we can fuel mission around the world and we can see a building here fit for our needs as we continue to grow as a church. We're going to ask him for that because only he can do that. We can't make it happen. We need to ask him for the blind to see. We need to ask him for those who are uh, caught up in addiction to be freed and for those who are uh, broken to be made whole. Only God can do that. We can't make it happen. We can do some things. We can partner with God and his mission, but only he can make those things happen. And so we ask him and we ask him and we ask him. We keep going. We keep going. We don't let go of him until he blesses us. Jacob wrestled with God all night and he said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. We need to be like that in our prayers. We keep going until he blesses. So often, as one commentator says, we're like naughty schoolboys in prayer who run and knock on someone's door and run away before someone else has answered. This is kind of what we're like often in prayer. We need to be those who keep going, who keep going. And I felt as I was preparing this message this morning that there are some sleeping giants here. I was praying with my friend Tim in the week and we were praying and we just felt there were sleeping giants here. Those who really have the potential to be a giant when it comes to prayer, but you're sleeping. And I want to cause you this morning to wake up and see that the stakes are very high. I want to cause you this morning to wake up. And men here, I want you to wake up this morning. Some of you here, you're leading your household, your husband or a dad. You're responsible for setting the spiritual temperature in your household. And you need to wake up this morning. You need to wake up this morning because the stakes are high. Be praying. Be prayerful men. Can I invite the men to stand? We're going to all stand in a couple of minutes, but I want to invite the men to stand. I want to pray for you because there's a responsibility on you. And some of you in your workplaces, you're, 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 you're wanting to see people come to know Jesus. Get praying. Get praying. Some of you here, you're sleeping giants. Some of you here this morning, I just believe God's taking a big symbol and going, smashing it in your ear and saying, wake up. Wake up. I want to pray for you men. Father, I pray for my brothers here, and I ask that you would wake up sleepy hearts. I pray, Father, for the sleeping giants here, that they would, would awake to the truth, that prayer is effective and powerful, that you will move as we pray, that just like Elijah, when he prayed, that you will move as we pray. I pray for my brothers here that we be men of prayer. Do you want that for your life, men? say it to God, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man who calls out to God for my town, for my church, for my family. I want to be a a man who prays for my kids regularly. I want to call out to, to God for it. Why don't you say that to him? Say it to him under your breath or out loud. Just say, God, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man who takes hold of the promises of God and prays them back to you. I want to do that, God. I want to take your promises seriously. I just pray for each one of us here that we would be men of prayer. That you would start something remarkable here as we take hold of you in prayer. Can I invite everyone else to stand? I want to pray for each one of us here. You know, I'm convinced that as we pray, as each one of us pray, that things will happen more and more and more. We are seeing things happen. We've seen people give their lives to Jesus in recent weeks. We've seen people healed. I was healed just last week. Someone prayed for me and my ear was completely unblocked as I was prayed for. And these are minor things I believe we're going to see even greater things in the days and weeks to come. If you have been healed in recent weeks or if you've seen a miracle, we need to hear from you. We don't need your life story. We need some. If you want to come forward one Sunday, just come, share. Jesus has done this for me. We want to hear it because it builds faith. Just if it's 30 seconds, if you don't like being on a microphone, fine. Just give us a 30 second. What happened? Were you ill? You prayed? You're better? We want to hear that because it will raise faith in our midst. 
And I'm convinced that as we keep praying, as we keep going after God for some big things, that we're going to see it more and more and more, where people will come to know Jesus, where people will come to see that he is the answer to all our searching. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if this has all been really weird for you, if, this is, if you're thinking, what is this guy on? You need to know Jesus. You need to know him. He loves you so much. He came to earth and he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. And he died on the cross in your place and so that your sins could be forgiven, so that your shame could be removed completely. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins have been removed from you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You can know him. He can transform your life. I want to call you today, if you don't know him, to give yourself to him. As we sing in a moment, the worship team are going to lead us in a response. But as we sing, why don't you, where you are, just say, God, I want to know you. I want this. I want forgiveness. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to this. And if you've done that, why don't you tell someone this morning? We're going to have, as soon as the band get going, we're going to have a prayer team gathering in the corner here. And we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you for the following things. We'd love to pray for you if you're sick. If you're unwell in any way, we'd love to stand with you and pray and believe that God will heal you. We'd love to pray for you if you have been wandering far from God. It says at the end of James, he doesn't really sign off his letter in a very conventional way. He doesn't say, God bless or anything like that. He simply says this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Maybe this morning you've been wandering. Maybe once, once upon a time you gave your life to Jesus, and you've been wandering. Come and get prayer. Maybe you know people who are wandering, and you want to ask someone to pray with you. Maybe a loved one, maybe a son or a daughter, or a, or a mum or a dad or a friend. And you say, I just, want to, I just want to pray for that person. We'd love to pray with you. Whatever it might be, head over. As we start to sing now, there's going to be a bunch of men and women here who would love to pray with you. And we're going to do business with God. And we're just going to sing and ask God to wake our hearts up. To wake our hearts up to the truth. And to wake our hearts up to the fact that He is sovereign. He can do anything. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content. But please do not edit the content in any way.